few weeks ago, we concluded our series in the Ten Commandments together. And just when you thought we were done with laws, we move on to another section of laws and rules. So we find ourselves, as mentioned today, in the 24th chapter, in the book of the covenant. Now, I talked to a few people this week, something major happened, a new movie was released, and I heard that at the end of the movie of Avengers, that everyone was, was pleased, everyone was pleased. I love movies, so I'm not going to ruin it for you, and I'm sorry if I got too close to a nerve for some of you guys. In her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, the author Trish Warren has an interesting quote here, and I want to read this for us. She says, Alfred Hitchcock said movies are life with the dull bits cut out, car chases and first kisses, interesting plot lines and good conversations. We don't want to watch our lead character going on a walk, stuck in traffic, or brushing his teeth at least not for long, and not without a good soundtrack. We tend to want a Christian life with the dull bits cut out. I think many of us can share this sentiment. As we finish the Ten Commandments, we find ourselves in a section, again, referred to as the Book of the Covenant. It is the laws that came after the Ten Commandments. This segment is often overlooked. It's considered boring and irrelevant. And if I'm honest with you, when I was tasked this text, I said, hey, don't you want to just go to the golden calf? You know, there's a lot of good stuff there. But we wanted to be faithful, and we wanted to spend time as a congregation to consider what exactly is it that the Lord wants us to hear from what seems like very mundane, almost overly pragmatic type of laws. The truth is that we, we have come from the mountain of the Ten Commandments and now to the ground of everyday living. We go from one type of law that, that addresses morality and ethics, and now with the Book of Covenant, it addresses a, a type of civil law for the nation of Israel. It addresses a social type of law for the nation of Israel. And as we move forward, I want to be clear that the Ten Commandments, the moral laws, as we see in light of Jesus, is, is actually fortified for us. It's reaffirmed. And so even right now, you and I as Christians, we are still called to be obedient to the Ten Commandments. We are called to submit to its teachings, and we are, we are taught by that in deeper ways who God is and how to please and obey him. However, the Book of the Covenant no longer binds us in this type of law. Since these were laws given to Israel as a nation, we no longer abide by them strictly because we do not function as a nationalistic group of Christians. So the Ten Commandments, we're still bound to obedience. But the sections we'll look at today, although there were a law for the people of God at the time, don't quite bind us the same way. So then what are we to do with them? May I suggest that as we consider our section today, that we have to realize that even though they might not bind us in such a way as the Ten Commandments, 
we are still made wise by its principles. And as we go through it, we will see that God, this triune God, this God who created man, this God who called his people out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and he will take them through the promised land. This God is a God for the weak, for the needy, for the lowly. This God is God of the weak. And we'll see this through three things. We'll see it in the covenant. We'll see it through a common sense. And we won't see it on the slides, but I'll say it to you now. (laughs) Oh, there it is. (laughs) We'll see it through, first, a covenant. We'll see it through a common sense. And we'll see it through compassion. The first point, covenant. In Exodus 21.1, it begins with this. After the Ten Commandments, Moses now says to the people, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. Sorry, this is God instructing Moses. He's saying, I have more rules. Instruct my people in this way. Further along on the other side of the bookend in Exodus 24, we're told, then he took the book of the covenant, Not sure what's going on with the slides here. We'll, we'll scrap it. Are you, are you clicking while I'm clicking in there? All right. Okay, we will, we, will, we will scrap the slides. In Exodus 24, the other bookend, we see that Moses took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This book of the covenant was read to Israel And it remains even for you and I as the word of God. These rules were bound to Israel by blood. There was a covenant, a promise made with the Lord and his people that they will live in accordance with these principles. Now something interesting to note is that the Israelites here in this time weren't the only civilization with laws and rules. Commentators, scholars, theologians all admit and recognize to the fact that during this time there were other civilizations who also had laws. In fact, they had similar laws. But there are two distinctions that seem to be exclusively present in this covenantal law between God and his people in the nation of Israel. First, These laws were given by God. The people of God received their law. The creator, by way of blood-drawn covenant, revealed to his creatures how they should live and conduct themselves, not just for the betterment of societies, not just so that everyone can flourish, but for the progression of redemption in history. Now, this might sound obvious, but I think we take this too much for granted and too much in wholesale. That 
the Israelite people, the people of God, in the way they are living and conducting themselves, they didn't just sit around and gather with wise men and say, okay, so how can we run a good nation? How can we be a good people? They didn't sit around and discuss ethics and morality and, 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 and practical ways to uphold justice. No, this people group, as we see in Scripture, these created beings were given the law from their creator God. God himself who created them instructs them on how they ought to live. By covenant, he, he goes into a relationship with them. He meets Moses and he gives them these laws, the Ten Commandments, the practical outworking of them in the Book of Covenant. He gives it to them. We cannot take this for granted that the people of God at this time were given the law. They didn't just come up with it. Other civilizations created their own laws for the sake of just their society, for, for flourishment. And though there are good laws and they reflect aspect of image-bearing creatures, they did not enter into blood-drawn covenant with the Creator. They did not have a law system that took them just beyond their social, national, tribal group throughout history, expanding to all people so that this law isn't just for one period in time. This law actually points forward to redemption for all people. The Israelites here, as they live in accordance to this covenant-drawn law, they are starting to live out and bring into fruition the reality of which God wants for all his people. It was a covenant that made way for this law. It was a covenant that God used to draw to these people. Second distinction we see in this time from all other types of laws and civilizations and groups that came up with rules, the second thing which seems to be the most um, prominent and, and beautiful and, 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 and sacred is that, that the Israelites, the people of God, they had laws that protected the weak. They had laws that protected women. They had laws that protected the poor. They had laws protecting the immigrant. They had laws protecting the least of them. Other cultures did not seem to provide such legal protection for the weak, the vulnerable, and the marginalized people of their tribe or nation. Not like the way that the God of the covenant gives to his community. These are not just social laws for a people. They are covenantal laws for a community. God didn't give his people just rules to follow so they could function with one another in a peaceable way. God gave them laws by way of blood-drawn covenant so that they would be more than just a people living next to each other, that they would be a community of people. You know, when, 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 you, when you join yourself to someone, when, when, when God looked around, he joined himself to the weak, he, he went out of his way. He heard the cries of the Israelites in slavery, and he drew near to them. 
God is a God who draws near to the weak. When I was dating my wife, and I thought about drawing near to her and making a covenant and vow on the marriage day, I looked at her just very plainly, very simply. I said, she's tall. She played tennis. She's athletic. She's smart. She's got a good education. <clears throat> you will bear good sons for me. When we draw to others and make a covenant or a vow, when we go into business ventures together, when we start something up, when we join a team, we don't join with one that is weak, even though we might be weak. We always look to join with someone who's stronger and better. But when God joins himself, when he makes a covenant, he joins himself with the weak, with the least, with the ones who need him the most. God is the God of the weak. He makes a covenant with them. He joins himself to them. Now what does he do for these weeks? What does he do? How does he function? Second point. We see just a deep common sensibility here in the ways that God draws out his laws. In Exodus 21.2, it says this, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. And, and just to be clear, in case you think that the Bible does advocate for slavery, the, the, the word being used here is not the way we understand it. The word here is more likened to an indentured servant, someone who is in debt, because just a following few verses after, it says this in Exodus 21, 16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. The Bible does not condone slavery as you and I know it as, as people today. What verse 2 is talking about is those who are in debt, those who are, to our best understanding, employees of a master, God is instructing the people how to engage when there is an employer and an employee, when your employee is indebted to you, when they work for you. They will work for you six years, but in the seventh he shall go free for nothing, that all his debts will be cleared and you will let him go. God doesn't want to see people in debt and stuck forever all the days of his life. God drawing to the least of those, God protecting those under authority subject to abuse says outright to the employer, if you have someone under you, let him work six years faithfully to pay what you are owed. But in the seventh year, let him free for nothing. God cares about your work. God cares about your job. Some of you guys are employers of many people. And even if you're not at the top, you're high enough where you're in charge of groups for projects. Many of you guys are in a higher position of authority. And the Lord cares about how you conduct yourself and how you lead and serve those under you. Same for the ones who are employees. I know some of you also are stuck in a grind, clocking in, clocking out, trying to pay off debt, trying to make ends meet. God cares about you too. He draws near to you. 
Exodus 21.20. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. Even in this context, we are told that if the, the one with authority, if, the, if the, the master strikes and should injure or kill the servant, that that servant should be avenged. You see, even the lowly have dignity. Even the lowly are protected. Even the one under authority is protected by a higher authority. God draws near to the weak. And it makes sense, doesn't it? He's a God who loves. He's a God who cares. Exodus 21, 12. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. We talked about in the Ten Commandments how we are called to preserve life. And if anyone should break that, the penalty of that should be death. We are to hold life so sacred that if we take a life, the punishment demands a life in return. Exodus 22, 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Exodus 25, 5-6. Exodus 22, 5-6, I mean. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. The Lord cares about your job. He cares about how you conduct yourself as an employer and an employee. The Lord cares about your property, your belongings, the things that others have. The Lord cares if we covet one another, murder one another, take from one another. And anyone who should suffer a loss as a victim, the Lord protects and he puts a high penalty on anyone who would prey on the weak. If the Ten Commandments are the moral laws of God, then the following sections here are meant to teach us how to apply these laws in daily life. It was, it was supposed to give the elders a guiding principle on how to navigate practical situations, and it always led them to a point to protect the weaker, to uphold justice for the poor. The Book of the Covenant ultimately shows us that God does not just care about the big picture of our life, but he also cares about the little pixels of our day. Pixels we often forget which make the whole more clear and more defined. You see, God doesn't just sit on the mountain type, on the mountain tops and give laws. No, through his servant Moses, he instructs his people in such a way so that they may live in a peaceable way, protecting the weak so that they know that their God is one who draws to weakness, that their God is the one who drew near to them because they were weak. Philip Riken says this about this portion of our scripture. The book of the covenant is about living for God, not just when we are standing at the foot of the mountain and gazing at his awesome glory. 
But when our neighbor borrows a video and fails to give it back, when someone is spreading rumors, or when an argument turns into a fist fight, in other words, it is about real life. God doesn't just care about our theology, our doctrine, what we profess. He cares about how we live those things out daily. And he cares if the weak are prayed on. He cares if the weak cry out to him. Our third point, he cares because he's a God of compassion. Listen to this. Exodus 22, listen to this. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Here the Lord tells his people, the Israelite people, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him because you were sojourners. You were oppressed in the land of Egypt. And you cried out, and I heard you, and I protected you. And all those who came against you, I killed them because I love you. And I will do anything to protect you. God is reminding his people, don't forget that you were the least of these, that you were the one who were oppressed, that you were the one who cried out, that you were the one I killed the enemies for, that you were the one I protected with a fierce love. You know, some of us might have a problem. Well, what's going on here? God's threatening people? God's going to kill people? Well, it might be helpful to think that God's love for his people here is that of a father, that of a, that, that of a lover. Would you do, would you, would you, would you, is there anything you wouldn't do to protect your own children? Is there anything you wouldn't do to protect your loved ones? God here in compassion and love tells his people as a reminder once more, do not wrong the soldier or oppress them. Do not mistreat any widow or fatherless child because you were sojourners, you were widows, you were fatherless children. And, we, and, and we're supposed to remember, we're supposed to remember back to Exodus 2, in the start of the Exodus, when the Israelites were in slavery, we're supposed to remember the, the language being used here, we're supposed to remember that in their moment of deepest desperation, when the Israelites cried out in Exodus 2, we're told, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew, and God saved. He goes on. It's not just the sojourner. It's not just the widow. It's not just the fatherless. It's the poor as well, Exodus 22. If you lend money to any of my people with, who, with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. And it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear. 
for I am compassionate. And he will protect them. We're being told something very practical here. The Israelites are being instructed, if there are poor people living in your tribe, in your community, and they need help, and they come to you, don't be like a businessman who, are, who is looking for an opportunity, but treat them with dignity. Lend them what they need. And it, and it, and it shows us the most desperate situation. If, if someone is so poor that they have nothing to offer you as a token, and he gives you the clothes off his back, if he is so destitute that all that he can give you to hold on to until he's able to repay you is the clothes on his back, God instructs that person, return it to him by night. For when it gets cold, he will meet it to sleep. God thinks about this poor guy who's going to be cold at night. God thinks about the guy who's, who's poor and cold and shivering at night by himself, and he wants to protect him. He said, give his cloak back. He needs it for the night. God is the God of sojourners, the oppressed, the widow, the fatherless, the poor. Now, something, something beautiful is happening here in, in the Old Testament in Exodus. We are still so early on. If you look at your Bibles, I mean, compared to what's left here and how far we've gone, we've only gone a short distance. And we think in the Old Testament that the God that we know, the God that we worship at this, at this point of redemption in history is only a God for Israelites, that, that, that God is only a God for the Israelite nation, that God only protects those who are ethnically Israelites in his eyes. But listen to what God is saying to the Israelites. God is not saying, hey, you're my people, I got you. Anybody else, if they harm you, I will protect you, I will kill them. No, God is telling his people, the God of Israel or is telling the Israelites, I'm not just your God, I'm the God of all those who cry out to me. Already this early on in the Old Testament, we see that God has redemption in mind for not just one people group, but for all who would cry out to his name. We see already so early on in the story of redemption that God doesn't just care about a one people group, but God cares about a people who are weak, who are broken, who cry out to him. Already, so already, before Jesus comes, before the apostle Paul talks about preaching to the Gentiles and the Greeks, already here we see that God is starting to open his heart and show us that anyone who cries out to me, any sojourner who is impressed, oppressed, any widow who needs protection, any fatherless child, I will hear them, I will have compassion on them, and anyone who harms them, who are my people, I will avenge. I will kill for them. There's nothing I wouldn't do for those who cry out to me. That's amazing. That's amazing. If we understand the Bible, many of us who've studied, who've been in CB, who have a seminary education, we think we have to wait so much longer in redemptive history to see a, a people group come. But no, from the get-go, God is concerned about the least of these. And this theme of sojourners, widows, 
fatherless children is it's carried out all through Scripture. This theme of protecting them is woven in all through Scripture. God is the God for the sojourner, the one who is on a journey, the one who is tired, the one who is lost, the one who is finding their way. God is the God for the widow, the one who is unprotected, uncared for, vulnerable, and lonely. God is the God for the fatherless, the ones who have no name, no status, no birthright, no inheritance. God is the God for the poor, the ones who have nothing in this world, the ones who are cold at night, the ones who are in humiliation, yet still invisible to others. Brothers and sisters, have we not established weeks ago that we are much like the Israelites in our sin? that we too are bound in slavery by sin, that we too have been liberated by God out of sin and into freedom. Do we not establish already that God has called us out of that yoke of slavery and we now are sojourners in this wilderness? Do we not establish that we are wanderers on a journey to a home that is far? Do we not establish that we are like the widow who have no one to look to, no protector except God himself. Do we not establish we are like the fatherless, bastard children of, sh- of shame and scorn and sin, but ones who can call out to him and say, you're a good father to me. Brothers and sisters, we are sojourners in this wilderness, are we not? Having been called out of the yoke of slavery into freedom in Christ, Has not the God of the weak been a guide for us? We are widows, unprotected, uncared for, vulnerable, lonely. And has Christ not been our dear husband who laid down his life for us to redeem us, to pay the bride price for the eternal banquet to come? We are bastards conceived in sin and shame and scorn. We have no worthy name of our own. We have no status. We have no birthright. We have no inheritance. Yet we are called by a new name in Christ, are we not? We are spoken of as a new creation in Christ, are we not? Are we not sons and daughters of the king? Are we not heirs to the kingdom as our birthright? Are we not inheritors of the crown of glory that awaits us when Christ returns? Are we not the poor in spirit, unable to save ourselves? Are we not in utter humility and helplessness? Has God not turned his ear to us, to you, to gaze upon us, to gaze upon you? Has he not said to you, come all who thirst, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price? Has not the God of the weak turned his ear to you in your desperation? Has he not gazed upon you with compassion? Has he not made a blood covenant with you with Christ Jesus? In all this, yes and amen, he has. For those who believe, we know that we are just like the sojourners, we're just like the widows, we're just like the fatherless, we're just like the poor. Yet in Christ Jesus, God has become all that we need In every situation, we need him. 
So the practical call today, brothers and sisters, is if you are in need right now, whatever situation it is, whatever desperation and weakness it is, call out to God. He is a compassionate God. He is a God of covenant. He is a God who listens. He is a God who answers prayer. He is a God who will fearlessly protect you. Call out to him. Call out to him. He is the God of the weak. He is the God of the weak. He's the God of the broken. He's the God of the weary. If you're tired today, call out to him. If you have yet to believe him and taste this reality, call out to him today. Let's take some time in meditation and prayer. Let's call out to him. Let's call out to him.